You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. We're continuing our series through 2 Timothy. We've been in it a few weeks now. And so you may remember, these are the last words we have written down from Paul. He's writing from prison. He's been jailed for his faith. He's been persecuted for his faith. Soon he will be martyred for his faith. And he's writing to one of his most trusted friends, a guy named Timothy. And he's discipled Timothy, and he's left Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. And y'all, it should come as no surprise that a man in jail, persecuted for his faith, writing a letter back to the Christians still in the church, still have their freedom, he's got some warnings for them. He's going to say, hey, there's some things that are dangerous out there that you should be aware of. Man, we shouldn't be surprised by that. You know, you, you would think a guy running from prison, he would say, hey, watch out. Watch out for the police force out there, y'all. They'll arrest you. Watch out for the government. They're out to get you. Hey, watch out for those heathen neighbors you got. They'll turn you in in a second. They did it to me. Y'all, this passage is very surprising because Paul is saying, hey, listen, the danger isn't coming from where you think it's coming from. In fact, as I was reading through this passage, I very much felt like a guy I recently saw in a video clip. I want to show you this clip. It's only 25 seconds long. You know, it's going to happen fast. And I'll I'll just say this. Just wait for it, okay? Just keep watching. Wait for it. Don't tune out, okay? Let's watch. So I don't know about y'all. I have a lot of questions, okay? First of all, there's somewhere, some places in the world apparently where you just hang out in a bull ring with a wild bull running around. That's a thing you do. Uh, and then somehow there's this guy who knows he is aware he is in a bull ring and there are bulls running around. And y'all, not once, but twice, he is looking everywhere except where that bull is coming from right in front of him and gets nailed, right? I've never seen a worse example of what you might call situational awareness, right? This guy has no idea where the danger is coming from. This is Paul's message to Timothy and to us. You don't know, you're not... You're not aware of where the bull is coming from. It's coming from right in front of you. Let's open our Bibles and read. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 9. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray with various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding their faith. They will not get very far, for the folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So Paul starts out in verse 1, kind of giving you the lay of the land. He says, hey, in the last days, and it's important we understand what he's talking about, we tend to think, oh, you hear last days, that's like this one little sliver of time, like the last five minutes before Jesus comes back, things are going to get really bad then. And maybe we're living in those times, maybe we're not. That's not what he's talking about. 
The phrase last days, that is the same phrase used in Acts at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first descended on the church. And so throughout the New Testament, that phrase last days means the whole time period, as long as it lasts, from Pentecost till Jesus returns. During that whole time period, those last days, you will experience, Paul says, difficulties. That word difficulty is a very strong word. It's actually used only one other time in Matthew 8 when a man is possessed by a demon. And it says the demon was so fierce, that's that word fierce, means wild, violent. It was so fierce, you couldn't even walk near him because the demon was so fierce. That's that word difficulty. So he's saying, hey, from the whole time period until Jesus comes back, it will be wild. It will be fierce, like a wild, violent bull running around. He's saying, you're living in the bull ring with the wild bull, guys. That's what it's going to be like. Now, we often are surprised when life is like that. And that says more about us than it does the New Testament. This is, the te- this is what the New Testament says over and over again. Often, though, we think we're living in Disney World, not the bullring. You're not. So he says, understand this. This is what it's going to be like. You will have difficulties. Now, the bull in this case was a group of people. And Paul wants us to know three things about this group of people. First thing he wants, wants us to know is that their lives are totally self-centered. Totally self-centered. Y'all, he rattles off 18 descriptions of the evil in these people in just three verses. That's covering a lot of territory really fast. Let's just hit some of the highlights. He starts off saying they're lovers of themselves. They're totally narcissistic. They're lovers of money. They're materialistic and greedy. He says they're ungrateful. That means they're entitled. Everything I have, I'm owed. He says they're heartless. They don't sympathize or empathize with people. He says they're not loving of the good. It means they find no joy, nor do they cherish, nor do they cling to the good. And so maybe for these people, the good is just a bunch, it's a burden to carry. It's just a bunch of rules to follow. Or maybe the, the good is just uh, something that keeps them from having the fun they want to have. It says they're reckless. They act without any consideration to the consequences of their actions. He says they're swollen with conceit. You ever seen somebody swell up, have an allergic reaction, get stung by a bee or something, and swell up? That's these guys because they are constantly preoccupied with their own superiority. They're always the smartest guy in the room, and anyone that disagrees with them is just a bozo. Finally, he says they're lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Their greatest satisfaction in life is what feels good right in that moment rather than God. Well, man, what a list, right? You may read that list and think, we are living in the last days. Man, you can look all around you and see those things in the extreme and in abundance. I mean, have you seen the media lately? Have you seen what they're putting on TV and what kids are listening to in their music? Have you seen what's out there in the culture? The attacks on marriage, all the promiscuity, all those unbelieving heathens out there, they need to repent. But here's the surprising part saying the bull is right in front of you. The bull is right in front of you. These people are in the church. These people appear godly. And they're not just in the church, they're regulars in the church, and some of them are leaders in the church. That's where the danger is coming from. So the next thing Paul wants us to know is their religion is powerless. It's powerless. He says they have appearance of godliness. That means for them... Godliness is like a costume. 
And it's not like these cheap costumes we buy our kids for Halloween. You know, it's like clearly you're not Iron Man, okay? Iron Man is not this tall. I know this. These are really good costumes, guys. They have every form, every practice, every tradition that you would think a godly person would have. They have it. That's to say everything you can see with your eyes, everything you can touch with your hands, everything you can hear with your ears from them looks godly. You know, if you went to their church, they'd meet on Sunday morning, they'd have crosses, they'd do baptism, they'd practice communion, they'd have worship, man, the worship would be great, they'd open the Word and they'd preach, and it may be the best sermon you've ever heard. Man, they can intrigue your mind, they can touch your heart, they can do it all. They have every single outward appearance imaginable. You know, if these guys, if they were in your Bible studies and in your small groups, man, when they chime in, they have the best answers. Their answers would be so right on, it would annoy you, you know? They always have the right answer. In fact, they're probably the leader of the Bible study. And they can lead worship in a way that moves you and makes you want to keep coming back. And y'all, morally, morally, they're beautiful. Their lives look amazing morally. So what's wrong? What's missing? Power. Dynamis where we get the word dynamite, an explosion of power. And y'all, this word is a central theme in every book Paul writes. Over and over again, power, dynamite, means the power of God through the gospel. It is a power that only God has. So a couple examples. Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To those who believe, man, the gospel is full of power. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the cross is the power, the dynamite of God. And so here's what one of the most important things for you to understand about church and religion and, and religious practice is that God has the power to do something that you cannot do yourself. You can't do it, no matter what actions you do or don't do, for that matter. So you can't change your own heart. When you read that list of 18 things, you're like, oh, that one stings a little bit. What are you going to do to change that about yourself? You can't. You can't remove the guilt of your own sin. I know, I know you've been a great person ever since, and you've done all these wonderful things, but you still did the thing. You still had the thought. You're guilty. You can't do anything about that. Only the power of God through the gospel, can do those things. And to illustrate this, he gives us an example of two guys, Janice and Jambri. Now I can safely offer a million dollars to whoever can find those names in the Old Testament because you're not going to find those names. You won't find the names, but you will find their actions. So if you go to Exodus 8, Moses and Aaron, they first come to Pharaoh. Man, the ten plagues are about to kick off. Things are about to start going down, okay? But in Exodus 8, it says there were some magicians in Pharaoh's court. And these guys were Israelite by birth. Later, Jewish history would give us their names, and that's what Paul is referring to. But they joined the other team. They're in Pharaoh's court now, and they're magicians for him. And when Moses and Aaron first show up, they try to like do and match some of the tricks just to prove, hey, Moses ain't got nothing. He ain't got no power. We're the ones with the power. And so you may remember in that story, Aaron has a wooden staff. Man, he throws it down. That thing turns into a snake. Would you believe it? Don't worry. I'm not going to replicate that miracle here, okay? Well, these two magicians show them. They're no big deal. They got one staff. So they throw them down. They turn into snakes too. 
Man, they're high-fiving each other. You know, Pharaoh turns to his treasurer, says, give those guys a raise. Pharaoh ain't got nothing. Well, then they look down, and Aaron's snake is eating their snake. Pharaoh, time to go. Time to get out of here. You got other stuff to do. We can't do that. And then the first two plagues, they match the first two plagues. So first they turn water into blood. These guys do the same thing. Plague of frogs comes. Man, they make frogs appear. Whether magic trick, demonic power, I don't know. The first two, though, they can match. But then they get to the third plague. Pharaoh's like, show them, show them. Tell me you got the same power. We, we don't have that power. In Exodus 8, out of their own mouth, they turn to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh, we are a joke compared to the power of God in the hands of Moses. And you know what they really had no power to do? They really had no power to do the real miracle, which was set God's people free from their slavery and deliver them into the promised land. They were absolutely powerless to do that. They had a few tricks, and that was about it. You know, it's kind of worse than that. These guys, not only could they not deliver God's people, they wanted to use their tricks to keep God's people in slavery. To send Moses and Aaron running to keep God's people enslaved under Pharaoh. That's what they wanted to do, and that's what these people in the church wanted to do. They weren't going to just keep their hypocrisy to themselves, kind of huddled up in a corner. Man, they were proselytizing. They were going out trying to bring other people in to their lies. So the third thing Paul wants us to know is their lies are predatory. Their lies are predatory. You know, Mark, a couple weeks ago, uh, outed me as a huge nerd. I'm a big nerd, and I love to watch documentaries. And so I thought I would subject y'all to some of that, which is great. Uh, there's a great, there's actually two parts to it, a documentary called Planet Earth. Has anyone seen Planet Earth? Awesome. Man, some of the most amazing video footage of nature and God's creation you'll see. And as soon as I read this part, I remembered one clip in particular, and I want to show y'all. It's just a few seconds long. Uh oh. Here he comes. A calf is separated from its mother. We'll stop it there. Let's just assume he got away, okay? We'll assume he got away. Thank you. <laughs> Who did the wolf go after? The fastest, the strongest, the biggest, the baddest? The weakest. The weakest. That's what these guys are doing. It says they creep into, like a snake slithers in, full of stealth, sneak again, hoping they won't get discovered and found out who they were. It says they capture people. That's literally the word you were using if you're going to throw somebody in jail. They're there to serve. They're not there for people's good. They're trying to throw people in jail. It says they sought out some weak women. Now, calm down. Uh, the word there, the phrase there is literally little women, but he's not referring to the novel. He's not referring to all women. He's not even referring to all women in that church. Any more than he's saying all men are liars and hypocrites, Okay. He's saying at this particular time, in this particular instance, the weakest in this group was a certain group of women. And so that's who these guys went after. But listen, y'all, the reasons they are weak can apply to any of us if we're not careful. It says they're burdened by their sins. 
Why are they burdened by their sins? Because they're still carrying their sins around. They haven't been forgiven. They're still trying to save themselves and be good on their own. And so they're carrying around all their sin. That's why Jesus says, hey, when you're weary and tired of carrying all that sin around, come to me and you'll find rest. My burden is what? My burden is light. They haven't done that yet. They haven't repented. He says they're always learning and never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Man, isn't that our culture? I love the way he says that. It means they're real religious and philosophical. Man, they love coming to church, getting little nuggets of truth. But they are weak because they are trying to do everything in their own power. So when these leaders come with things that sound good, but no gospel dynamite power behind them, they're like, that's great. Man, they just eat it up. So to summarize, these men and their followers, they see their religious activity and knowledge as a way to better themselves. They're ignorant of the fact, he says, that their own sin and their own passions are actually in the driver's seat of their lives. So that's, that's the bull in the ring back in Paul's day. But y'all, I don't think we can listen to what's going on here and think, oh, well, I'm so glad that never happens today, right? Of course we see this around us. So here we are, in the last days, in the bull ring, wild bulls running around, what do we do? Well, just three things, y'all, that I think Paul is saying here, I think he would say if he was standing in front of us today. The first one is this, protect the church. Protect the church. He says they were creeping into houses. The word there is actually large houses, which was probably where the churches were meeting. That's how it worked back then. They didn't have buildings. So guess what? If you had the biggest house, we're coming to your place. That's how it worked. So they're coming into the church, which makes sense, y'all. If the church is the hope of mankind in the world, of course, evil is going to try to creep into it. And so Paul says in verse 5, avoid them. He says, avoid them. And y'all, this is the consistent teaching of the New Testament. Hey, the lost, seek and save the lost. Go to the ends of the earth for those who are far from God. But if someone is in the church and claims to be a brother and is preaching something other than the gospel, you confront that brother. And hopefully they repent, but if they don't, you vote them off the island. You have nothing to do with them. And now the goal is their repentance. The goal is their good. The goal is, the hope is, the light bulb comes on for them when they say, oh, this is a big deal. I think you have to ask, and I certainly ask, why the difference? Why the difference? Well, here's one of the reasons, y'all. Few things are more damaging to the next generation than for them to grow up surrounded by the appearance of godliness without any of its power. You know what that does? That acts as a vaccination. What does the vaccination do? It gives somebody just a, enough, just a little bit of a virus, so that when that virus comes in, it is rendered ineffective. Y'all, and that's what happens. When we grow up in a church without God's dynamite power at work transforming people, y'all, it gets all kind of confusing doesn't it? Because, man, then later on in life, Christians will tell you, hey, you need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to connect with God's people. And they say, I already did all that. I did all that for years. There was no power in that. Because they've become inoculated to the very things God intended to use to draw people to Him. Or what's worse, they think the show is all there is. And listen, many here, we live in a churchiosity culture. Many here have had to overcome that. Man, where you weren't a follower of Jesus, you just joined churches. 
And you spent years in church and had no idea, had no clue that you couldn't be even a little bit good on your own, but you could receive all of Jesus' goodness. You didn't know that not only was the Bible true and right, that it was living and active. And so for years, you just show up and you just go through the motions, you do the thing, and you don't even know there's a greater power. And so here's what I want to do. I want to speak to the kids in the room. And so some of y'all being color and stuff, that's great. Just take a break, pause, give me your eyes. I want to talk to the kids in here because y'all kids, grown-ups a lot of times, we are not good at showing this. I'm not always great at showing this. Here's what I want you to know. Hey, in my house, man, when we're celebrating something or somebody gets a reward, you know what it is? It's ice cream. We love ice cream. Who likes ice cream? Yeah, baby. Here's what I want y'all to know. Nothing we are doing here is getting us ice cream from God. We are here because God is the ice cream, because he's awesome and he saved us and we need his help to live our lives. That's why we're here. All right, y'all go back to coloring. Parents, that was for y'all too, by the way. So if you're here and you're an adult and you've grown up with this, you know, appearance and display and show of religiosity, but without any of its power, what, have you do, what do you do? Well, here's what I want you to know. This morning, y'all, Jesus is telling you Not to repent of the action, repent of the powerlessness. He's saying to you, come to me first, let me do the things only I have the power to do, and then all of those actions will have a new power behind them. See, all it is so important that we protect the church from being just an appearance and a show of religion, but with no gospel power. You may ask, and rightfully so, okay, that's important, so how do we do it? Second thing I think Paul wants us to know, practice the right love. Practice the right love. Y'all, to see where the bull is coming from, to look straight ahead, is to look squarely in your own heart. You just can't read that list and be an honest person and, and, think, and not think, that's me. That's me. If I'm honest with myself, what's in my heart Most of the list, if not all, is me. If you don't think it's you, ask your spouse or your mother-in-law. Your mother-in-law will tell you, okay? Notice the bookends of this list. They love themselves. They love pleasure and not God. Their loves are misdirected in the wrong place. When they came to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? He said, I'll do you one better. I'll give you two. Love God, love people. And then he said, on these things, the whole law depends. You can do the whole rest of the law, and if you don't have the right loves in your heart, it's meaningless. Well, these are the exact opposite. Instead of loving God, they love pleasure. Instead of loving others, they love themselves. And just as the whole law depends on the right loves, if you only have the wrong loves, fill in the middle with that whole list. The other 16 things, there it is, because of misdirected love. It's a direct contrast to the greatest commandment of Jesus Christ. And y'all, here's what this means. Here's what this means. There's a form of religion where you can know all the right theology. You can read all the right books, man, study. You can debate all those people who are wrong. And you know what? You can be right. You can bat a thousand on everything about when Jesus will return, who the, who the Antichrist is, whether it's free will, predestination. You can be totally right 
and totally missed the point. Why? Because those facts did not lead you to love God and love others. In fact, those facts can be used simply as a tool for you to love yourself and love pleasure. There's another version of religion. Man, when you come to church every time the doors are open, and when you're not here, you're listening to the Christian radio and the sermons and reading the Christian blog, you're doing it all. And every time, man, as soon as worship starts, man, those hands are up. Every time the pastor says something good, you write it down, you go home, you post it on Facebook. Every time somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, man, I'm, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Amen. And totally miss the point. Why? Because all of those experiences have not led you to love God and love others. In fact, all of those experiences can simply be a tool for you to love yourself and love pleasure. What do I do if I love the wrong thing? What do I do if I come to this moment of honesty and I say, you know, I, I just really love myself. It's really all about me here. Well, you know, I can give you some suggestions. Pray. Ask God to help you. Ask God to change you. Repent. Confess to Him, you know, I've loved myself in this particular way, that particular way. Ask for help. Humble yourself and talk to some of God's people. Let them in. Let them know what's going on. Read the Word. Submit to it. Serve people. The Bible says, hey, let's not just love people in thought. Let's love people in action and deed. So find somebody to serve. But here's what you got to know. Here's the most important thing to know. You can do any action I tell you and still remain the same person. Same person you always were. Have you ever tried to start your car when the battery's dead? Man, you can turn that key till you're blue in, your, blue in the face, can't you? You can turn it every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. While you're listening to Christian radio on your way to work, turn it, turn it, turn it. And if there is no power, the car will not start. Doesn't matter how many times you turn it. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to do those things, not put your faith in those things. Anything you can do under your own power is not worthy of your faith. You put your faith and that which is more powerful than you. Y'all, and this is Paul's point in this passage, in the book. This is the point of the whole Bible. Put your faith in the power of the gospel. The gospel is the one thing that has the power you need. And listen, we're not just talking about power to go to heaven instead of hell. I've got a life insurance policy, guys, okay? Right now, in this moment, that thing has no power over me. It has no power until the day I die. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power to transform your life. We're talking about the power of, I don't walk the way I used to walk. I don't talk the way I used to talk. We're talking about the power to transform you from a lover of yourself, a lover of your own pleasure, to a lover of God and of others. That's the dynamite gospel power. Power to unburden you of your sin, to put your name in the book of life as a child of God. That's the power of the gospel. That's where our faith should be directed and turned. In a moment, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with communion. I don't want you to see communion. I want you to see this communion table is an offer on the table from God, okay? Here's the offer on the table. You're the list. Guilty as charged. You're dead in your sins. You can't change yourself. There's nothing you can do about it. And listen, guys, the day you realize that about yourself could be the best day of your life. It really could. Here's why. Because God is not also only, He is not only powerful, He is also good. 
and he sees you. He sees you. He says, I know you can't pay the price for your sin, so my body will be broken. That bread is a symbol of God's body that was broken when he died for us. And y'all, his death was essentially him saying, I'm going to pick up the tab on your sin. You bought the death with your sin, but I'm paying for it. Y'all, he rose again. He rose again. And so we take that juice as a symbol of Jesus' life. The Bible says that life is in the blood. And so it's a symbol of Jesus' blood, and we drink it. It's a symbol that his new life, his goodness, his righteousness, his love of God, his love of others comes into us. And he says, here it is. You can have it all. Don't even try to pay for it. You can't. It's yours for free. That's the offer on the table. Don't do what these men Paul's describing did. It says they denied the power of the gospel. They weren't ignorant of it. They took a look at the offer on the table, and they denied it. They said, no thanks. They refused it. You know, that's what we do. That's what we do when we substitute coming to church and religious activity for the power of the gospel. What we do is we, when we don't see ourselves as lost in need of forgiveness, oh, I got this, I can be good on my own, or at least good enough. Thanks, though. It's what we do when we settle for just for what feels good now. Just give me some warm fuzzies. Who cares if my heart is far from God? You can accept God's offer today. If you haven't ever done it, you can put your faith in the power of the gospel this morning. Just simply repent right where you are. You can repent and say, I'm the list. I'm sorry. And then you can put your faith in the gospel that I've just told you about. And you can take these elements, hopefully with a new power behind them. And you know what? We're having a baptism in July. And you come be baptized, and it will be awesome. You know, and for those of you like me, we've taken that step. We can accept God's offer by continuing to walk in it, by making sure we don't turn this place into a show without the power, and by every day, every day, putting our faith solely in the dynamite power of the gospel. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.